Our passage of Scripture is uh, found in Exodus 14. You should be able to find your bulletin insert with that passage printed upon it. We'll be reading together verses 1 uh, through 14. This is right after the Israelites have, have escaped from the land of Egypt. And let's read the Word of God together. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Piharoth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Piharoth opposite Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Those of you in your teens or 20s or 30s are too young to remember or to have seen firsthand the events taking place in Eastern Europe in the early 1980s. But for those of us who grew up during the Cold War, that was a very exciting time because communism had always claimed to triumph over religion. But during those days, the world began to see a major crack in the communist empire in Poland, of all places. 
That's when a movement of mostly faith-inspired people known as Solidarity, a movement with very open ties to the Catholic Church, rose to challenge tyranny under the leadership of a very unlikely person. A short shipyard electrician by the name of Lech Walensa. In the early days of the Solidarity Movement, Walensa had been jailed and was isolated and threatened so often that most people saw him literally as a dead man walking. And those of us in the free world were sure that he would meet with an untimely accident. The kind of accidents that happen to those who speak out under oppressive regimes. But Walensa kept moving forward. He he wasn't afraid. He could somehow see what God was about to do and that this movement in no way would be stopped. On one particular night, he was coming out of a stairwell on his way to Mass, and some reporters did an impromptu interview. And one of them asked if he was frightened. And he stopped and he sort of looked surprised at the thought. And in a strong voice, in his broken English, he said, No, I'm afraid of no one, nothing, only God. And with those words, he walked out into the night. As someone has said, in that dingy stairwell was the purest courage and conscience backed by Christian faith that no force of empire or terror could ever extinguish. Now for those of you who like to hear the rest of the story, Valenza went on to win the Nobel Peace Prize and become president of Poland as the communist empire began to crumble and fall right before our very eyes. It was apparent to much of the world during those days that as the psalmist puts it in Psalm 118, this is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. And it was marvelous to see all of that taking place and to know that God was orchestrating it. And that's what this sermon is all about today. It's all about what you and I can see, what kind of vision we really have and how far we are able to see. Because that's what we find in our passage of Scripture this morning. As we read through these verses, I hope you took note of some of the things that the Israelites could see. They weren't the best things. They maybe weren't what they should have been looking for. But they could see some things. And we run across the first one in verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. So the children of Israel had no problem whatsoever viewing viewing this threat. Because of the flat topography and relative proximity, they could see Pharaoh's army as they approached the water. They could see that this army was catching up to them and they could see that they would be trapped against the water. 
but they could not see what God was about to do. And how many times is that true in your life and in mine? We can see the problems in our lives. We can see the threats. We can see the challenges and we can get all worked up about them. I remember when I was serving a congregation in Gastonia, North Carolina, their board of deacons was getting very concerned over the fact that the sanctuary needed a new roof and we didn't have the money for that. Does it sound like a familiar story? Bad roofs seemed to follow me around for some unknown reason. But even back in the late 80s, the price tag for that roof was hovering somewhere around $30,000 and there were long discussions about how a congregation that only in those days had a $100,000 annual budget would be able to come up with that kind of money. There was a lot of anguish. There was a lot of gnashing of teeth and a lot of praying. And we got all worked up over that problem because we could see the threat. We could see the challenge. An issue which we could not physically meet, we just couldn't see what God was about to do. Do you know what happened two months later? Hurricane Hugo roared through and blew enough shingles off that old roof that our insurance company had to pay for a new roof. And all we had to pay for was the deductible. And I'm not saying that God sent Hugo that far inland so that that one particular congregation could have a new roof. But it still worked out that way, didn't it? You know what Paul says in Romans 8, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. We could see the problem. We just couldn't see what God was going to do about it. And it just so happens that many times as we focus on these problems in our lives, as we see these challenges over and over again, and that's all that we can see, then we begin to see something else. We begin to think about how life used to be before that problem was in our midst. And we find ourselves wanting that life again, we think. If only we could go back. We see that same thing right here in our passage of Scripture near the end of verse 11. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Do you hear what's really being said there? It's something very important. They're saying it's better to live by sight than by faith. That's what the children of Israel were really saying. Because in Egypt, their life was predictable. They knew where their next meal was coming from. They had someone telling them every hour of the day what to do. There was no autonomy, no decisions to be made. 
and certainly no faith or very little. In Egypt, they wouldn't have to deal with this unknown desert or this unpredictable God. They could just simply exist instead of live. Just exist day in and day out until their lives were over. How ridiculous is that? What a slap in the face of God. And yet we do it all the time. Oh, if only my life could be like it was five or ten or fifteen years ago. You supply the number. And yet God tells us in Ecclesiastes, Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it's not out of wisdom that you ask such a question. And if it's not from wisdom that we ask that kind of question, then it's from foolishness, isn't it? I've preached a sermon on that text before when we talked about how it's not wise to look back to a former life because it's foolish, it's futile, and more importantly, it's faithless. And it's faithless in this particular instance in our passage this morning because the children of Israel don't give a second thought to the promise that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They don't give a second thought to it, especially when they see the dust of Pharaoh's army behind them. They still have not learned, as one commentator put it, that God's purpose for bringing them out of Egypt is not simply to save them, that present generation, but to maintain His covenant tie to all His people, to past, present, and future. They still have not learned that their circumstances are not the final standard on which to view the work of God. And that's still true because they have no clue as to what God is about to do. They can't see that far. And there should be a lesson in there for us somewhere, especially as we think about what God has done for us through the cross of Jesus Christ. After his trial, we're told in the Gospels that all the disciples ran away. The situation couldn't have been any more depressing, any more discouraging, because with with an okay from Rome, their Lord and Savior and friend and guide was going to be executed. That Friday afternoon, he breathed his last at about 3 p.m. And evil was so triumphant over the land that it became dark in the middle of the afternoon. But Sunday's coming. Tony Campolo has a book. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Do you see what I'm saying? You may feel like it's Friday in your life right now. You may feel like it's Friday in your school or in your neighborhood or even in this church, but Sunday is coming. Our circumstances right now can never be the final measuring instrument on which to grade God's work or a supposed lack thereof in our own lives. And notice that Moses understands that. He wants the children of Israel to see the salvation of the Lord. He can see a great deal more than they can. 
That's why after hearing this faithless response from his people, he gives them a little tongue lashing here at the end of our text. We don't pick up on it in our English Bibles, but in the, in the Hebrew he basically says, Shut up. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance or salvation the Lord will bring for you today. The Egyptians you see, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. You don't need to say a thing. Just stand and watch. In some ways, this reminds me of that wonderful story we have about the prophet Elisha and his servant in 2 Kings 6, where they have traveled to the city of Dothan, and the king of Syria hears about it, and and undoubtedly he and his army travel most of the night to arrive and be there by the morning. And when Elisha's servant goes out the next morning, all he can see are chariots and horses and warriors completely surrounding the city, the Syrian army. And he goes into Elisha and he says, what are we going to do? And Elisha answers, fear not. Don't be afraid because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prays and says, oh Lord, I pray that you would open his eyes that he might see. And God opened the eyes of that young servant and the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You know, when we consider stories like these, Moses against Pharaoh's army or Elisha and his servant against the Syrian army, the basic question is easy to frame. What kind of sight do we really have? Do our eyes need to be opened like Elisha's servant so we can really see what reality is? Are we able to see not only the threat, not only how life used to be when there was no faith involved or very little, or can we also see the power of God at work in our world and lives even if that power hasn't made itself real in a visible way on our behalf? unless we get all caught up in whether or not God will choose to work in our midst for a particular need or challenge or illness, we must also notice that ultimately this story of the Exodus is not just a story of God helping His people. It's a story of salvation. Moses has it right when he calls it deliverance. The RSV translates it as salvation there. That's what the Exodus is all about. It's about God's redeeming power. He's saving grace at work for you and for me and for all the world. And I wonder if we too are able to see His salvation, the gift He's given us in Christ. Because this story of the Exodus and how God saves His 
his people out of Egypt and from their army is a foretaste, if you will, of the salvation he offers unto us through the redemption made possible by the gift of his own Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you remember how Matthew quotes the prophet Hosea in part of his Christmas story? Chapter 2, verse 15. When in speaking of Jesus being a refugee in Egypt, Matthew says this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet that out of Egypt I have called my son. In a sense, Christ is the new Israel. Just like Israel, he too has come out of the land of Egypt. And not only is Christ the new Israel, but he's also the new Moses in some sense. You know, Moses came and gave the law. Jesus came and didn't give the law, but he did what? He fulfilled the law. And think about the conversation that Jesus has on the Mount of Transfiguration with uh, Elijah and Moses. They're up there and they're having this conversation and they're talking about, according to Luke's gospel, Jesus' departure. We find that story in Luke 9. His departure, which he's about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now, obviously, that's talking about his death. But the interesting thing is that the word in Greek there, translated as departure, is the Greek word exodus. Yes, that refers to his death. But don't you think that Luke is pointing to something just a little bit more than just his physical death when he chooses that word exodus? Jesus is not simply talking to Elijah and Moses about his physical death, as important as that is. He's talking about the significance of his death, which is brought into focus with the word exodus. Jesus' death is his exodus from this life to the next. He's a new Moses leading the way for God's people into a new way of living, a new heaven and a new earth where there's no more mourning or crying or pain for the former things have passed away. God has worked for our salvation and all we need to do is see it in the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. And I just wonder, are you able to see that far? Do you have the faith to believe that God's love is that real? whether all is well in your life or not. It's like Paul says in Romans 8. He says, neither death nor life. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else and all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't matter if it looks like Pharaoh's army has us pinned against the sea. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ.
That's the good news of the gospel. See it. Believe it. And live in its peace. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.